Hey, today on Gut Plus Science, we're doing a throwback. If you remember in my conversation with Jethro Lloyd, CEO of iLab, we discussed the M word, millennials. This episode is one of our most listened to. And in this conversation with Jethro, he shares his take on how to engage millennials and why we're thinking about them all wrong. Be sure to stick around at the end where I give my takeaways. Take a listen. Welcome to Gut Plus Science. Analytics about people. Insights for executives. Truth you can act on. A high-energy, fast-paced, results-oriented exchange featuring employee engagement evangelist and CEO, your host, Nikki Llewellyn. I think the reality is many organizations have focused their attention primarily on the product or service that they deliver to their client base. Instead of figuring out, in addition to that, people and culture and how important that is to develop a business. Now, many of us starting out companies or, or leading organizations, we have enormous amounts of pressure from our shareholders to deliver the profits. And culture has become a kind of a dirty word in a lot of organizations because it, 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 it kind of is that soft, feely stuff. And often uh, there is nowhere to go to really find if I got the data, how can I act on that data when it comes to things like um, like culture? So, so if I look at it, one of our biggest biggest challenges has been is how do we connect with our employees when our employees are sitting all over the world and they are primarily focused, you know, focused on delivering what they have to do on a daily basis. How do we keep them connected from a cultural perspective to our organization? I always say, I wish I had a, an old private school that has many, many years to establish the culture and then had the opportunity to take that over. But we were an entrepreneurial growing business and we continue to be an entrepreneurial growing business and creating the culture, making it embedded in every day has has been our biggest challenger and our failure to communicate what that culture might be and more importantly the failure to measure if we've implemented something what is the success of of that culture and um, I, I saw it in in practical senses one year I, I made a decision to to cancel a year in party and uh, the following year I had thirty uh, percent uh, staff turnover as far as the team was concerned and it was it was a big wake up call for me that People want to feel part of your organization. They want to connect to your organization. They're desperate to connect to the companies they work with. And if you don't make it your priority, um, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt in a big way. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, just as that example, you're sharing about canceling the party and then seeing the this lagging indicator of turnover and whether or not that was the one thing or, you know, a part of the problem. It's so amazing to me how communication which seems like such a simple thing can be the game changer in that. So if you would have communicated, you know, I'm not going to rip into your failure, of course, but if you would have communicated that, Hey, here's why we're doing this and here's what we're doing instead, there could have been half that percentage, right? Yeah. And, and I think maybe you've hit the nail on the head there. I was not communicating enough as a person to my employees. I was communicating as a CEO and because the year-end party was probably the one time that they got to connect to me as the person, not the CEO, that is why the implication was so much greater. And the lessons learned of humanizing our communication and emphasizing the need for communication, positive and negative communication, is the make or break of the success of your organization, in my opinion. 
So big. Yes. I love that. Humanized communication. That is already on my list for takeaway today. So I'd love to hear when you said, you know, one of the reasons that that event was so important to people was the one-to-one interaction that they got that you didn't know until later, right? That that was a big deal. Yes. What do you do now that gives your people, especially since they're spread out, the opportunity to interact with you and your executive team? I think it has to be a mindset and a commitment from myself and my executive team and my extended executive team that they need to connect physically, communicate physically, face-to-face, if possible, with as many of our employees across the world as they can. Now, practically speaking, because we have staff sitting all over the world, I certainly do not get into an airplane and fly around and and do face-to-face visits. But inculcating that culture of saying, They've built a relationship with their manager. They need one-on-one communication on a regular basis. Their manager's manager. They need to know they have access. And creating as many of the levels that is possible and feasible for your employees to connect to. 90% gut, and this is the gut part, 90% of our problems that we have in our organization is poor communication. And when I mean by poor, not lack of communication, not the the quantity of communication, the how we communicate. There are so many times when, as an organization, so many rumors could be spread within the organization that are unnecessary and change the way people feel about the organization. So many good things left unsaid and not communicated can change again people's feelings about the organization. And because we're talking about millennials today, We all know that their feelings and how they feel drives a lot of many of their decisions. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just different. So it's important to be cognizant of that communication. It's important to be cognizant of the regularity. And the more important thing is ensuring you're doing it consistently and and that you're fair about it. So obviously, uh, you know, I now fly around the world for my year in party because I've learned my lessons. And I do get the wonderful opportunity to spend one-on-one time with some of the employees, but we're doing a lot more than that now, learning from those lessons. Yeah. One of the greatest ways to learn that I know so many people are just nervous to take the steps and put themselves out there to potentially fail, but it is honestly like the way that these lessons like stick in our heads and the way that we learn, like I never grasped that until I would say maybe five years ago, really to, you know, I'd always heard like fail forward and embrace failure and it's a good thing. And I'm like, no, it's not. I hate losing, you know, but it's, yeah. it's really true that those are the ways that, you know, when you mess up and, and um, you learn from those things, you know, it's just such a lesson to others, but it just, it really sticks in your mind. It doesn't go away. You are engaged with the failure. Exactly. And I mean, there's never a wise word then. Your father becomes very, very wise the older you become. Mm-hmm. When you're a young person, you you certainly don't listen to take their advice. And unfortunately, in business, some of those failures can cost you a lot of money. And hopefully, you're learning from it. And I think one of the other very important engagements that you and I had was it was a great moment of self-reflection for all of us in the executive team, extended to the management team, to really look at ourselves objectively and say, well, here is an independent measure. These are the things that we maybe are not doing well. Let's admit that we're not. Let's learn from it and we can improve it. You can always improve things. You can always change things. But if you're not willing to learn and you're not willing to listen, you certainly won't achieve what you hope to achieve. 
I know I have been to just one of the iLab offices and very fun people that I've got to be around truly. Like when I was introducing you to other people at my company, I was like, you guys are going to, you're in for a treat. They're pretty fun. But what do you think in general makes your culture unique across the board? I would say unique to maybe technology, but not necessarily unique as a general rule. And, and, and let me qualify that. Because we're so focused and we have such a niche focus within the technology space, being software quality assurance and testing, uh, we engage primarily with business and technology and the clients that we do business in. But our individuals that we employ all have that as their vocation. The similar industry could be equated to maybe a medical practice or a, uh, a law practice where everybody is a lawyer. So we have the same thing. The difference, however, is all our guys don't come to a singular office and our clients visit us. We go to our clients. So we are very lucky that we have more than 90% of our employees are in one vertical within, with, within the technology space. But we have the disadvantage of each and every single one of those individuals don't get the opportunity to be in our head office on a regular basis. And in some instances, which we are working very hard on, is they might only come into our office only when they have a problem and certainly obviously in their initial phase, so when they come into the business. Even when we do the training, we would often send our training to their environment to deliver, to, to support them in the training. So that I think would make, us, would make our culture different. Um, it gives us an advantage because theoretically these individuals all have the same interests and needs and desires, but our industry is quite young in the IT industry. And because it's quite young, the maturity of the career paths are also quite young. We're talking maybe 20 years of it being maybe a little bit longer, but, but not longer than that, different to different parts of the, the, the IT space. So we only hire one kind of person. Um, and I think that makes, that makes our culture slightly unique. And, it, and it, in it, it brings us a lot of problems because of that. When you say we only hire one type of person, how would you describe that type of person? Like what would be the character traits? I think a, a colleague of mine coined it the other day and it, it's sort of ringing true quite a lot. In what we do, the best piece of news we can give a client is that your software works the way you expect it to work. And anybody that's listening will know that that's not the way software works. Um, with the resultant fact is most of our guys, uh, our employees, spent a large portion of their time dealing with providing information to stakeholders that sometimes causes them to have to stop a project, spend more money to fix, make changes in strategy, whatever it might be. So it's a very different type of thinking. They're also spending a lot of time analyzing software to find faults in that software. So for all intents and purposes, they're trying to break stuff. So unlike the other kids in the playpen, they're not building the toys, they're breaking the toys. <laughs> so it makes them, and, and we have this as an, an interesting subculture in our organization, they tend to be fairly negative because they're breaking toys all day. They're finding faults in what it is that they're working with. So in that, we spend, we've, we've learned that we have to spend quite a bit of time motivating them, getting them out of the mindset that the breaking of the toy is a bad thing, but actually a great thing. That's why our clients are paying us to do. We need to do that. We need to do that successfully. So we have to be very cognizant of those profiles. And with that, we have to build programs to support that kind of profile. 
unlike software engineering businesses, they have a lot of creativity that they need to um, encourage. We've got to encourage uh, analytical skills. We've got to encourage repetitive pattern understanding and things like that. So it's slightly different. Interesting. Going into my next question that I wanted to ask is what is your greatest challenge when it comes to engaging your people? Two things that I know I'd love for you to speak into. One, because I know you and all of that, I know that you've gone through some ups and downs and some learnings with millennials. So I know that yes. that has been one of your greatest challenges. And then on the other side, now that you're just talking and saying that a lot of your, the majority of your workforce are highly analytical, therefore they lean towards the glass half empty pessimistic side because they're looking for what's broken, you know, and they're, and they're breaking things. That has to be something that, that keeps it hard from naturally organically just building this engaged culture. So those, those two might be points that I, I mean, I'd like to hear on those, but what else when it comes to greatest challenges on, on driving that engagement? So, so let's talk about, I mean, my favorite topic is millennials. Um, I was uh, fortunate enough to have millennials in my family. So it's, it's been a, a constant learning curve and how to engage with them, just family members, what interests them. And I think one of the things that I think we're making a mistake in society is we're creating the monster that they have become. We've forgotten that uh, millennials are the same as us, but they've never had a life not engaged in the internet or in social media. So for a large portion of their life, they've had, in fact, all of their lives, they've had mobile phones. They've had access to music online. They've had access to movies online. Um, and in their entire existence, they don't know a world before there was internet as a dependency and engagement with the internet as a dependency. But what I will give credit to the millennials that I think a lot of organizations, including myself, don't think about is, with all of that, millennials seek authenticity in their engagement that they have. So remember, as much as they've been plugged in, they've also had very vast bad experiences where they found out the truth that something that they might have believed in wasn't true. Um, they've also had way more access to information. So they're a lot more pessimistic in their views of things than we might have been because we kind of were easily brainwashed. It was easy for us. We only had libraries to get our information. And if we didn't choose to walk into that library, well, we, then we wouldn't have known about it. So when I look at the millennials, I think that they need a lot more authenticity. And if you talk about our engagement, we can't get away, this generation, we can't get away with a refrigerator full of uh, Coca-Colas as a means to get them to work longer hours. We can't get away with um, saying that we care, but the truth of the matter is they can get data that you didn't. So fr from my perspective, we've, tr we've looked very hard within our organization and saying they also care about their careers. They do care about making a future of themselves. I think there's been some you know, stats spoken, you know, that millennials, you know, don't, you know, they live with their parents and they, um, there's a whole lot of things that they don't do that the generation did before. And therefore we must treat them differently. No, no, they don't have those same opportunities because things have changed so dramatically around them and in such a short period of time. So we really look for authentic engagement with millennials. The other part is they definitely look for a lot more fulfillment emotionally within the organization that other generations didn't need. And what I mean by that is they want to know that your organization stands for something more than just profit. They don't have a problem with profit, but they have a problem with profit only. They don't have a problem with being 
told what to do, but they have also they do have a massive problem with not being asked if if they have a view or an opinion or an idea. Remember, they're the generation that's been raised that said they can do anything. So I think it's important to balance. And I also try very hard to not refer to them as anything different to any other employee. They are the future of our workforce. They are the future of the world. And they have many outstanding ideas and outstanding views. But I think it is unfair to continue to label them as, as that dirty word, oh, it's a millennial. You know, we all roll our eyes whenever we hear, oh, it's a millennial. It's just a different way in which they communicate. And it's important for us to understand that way of communicating. I think if you look back in history, the people that survived World War II, the generation that followed, they felt was spoilt because they hadn't suffered as much as that generation had before. We feeling exactly the same way when we look at millennials because we perceive everything is easier, but we've forgotten that we grew into internet connections and we grew into online access. They didn't. It was 100% available, bombarded to them 24 hours a day, seven days a week from the day they were born. What we need to do now is allow them to have that authentic experience and to promote it, make them be involved with the process, get them involved with some of the ideas. But more importantly, I believe, stop referring to them as something different. I love that. Just think of them is people who communicate yeah, differently and, you know, and have different yeah, goals. And for some of those leaders out there that want to use millennial as a term that's like this, you know, slang or um, kind of degrading or something, it's like, look, you, that statistic I was talking about earlier, that is where the world is. It's just, it is what it is. So jump on the ship or it's going to sail without you. And I think what you're saying is one, the greatest opportunity that they can, they can bring to the table is to embrace authenticity, embrace that character trait as a leader and give that as much as possible because that's what they're looking for. And then the other is, I'd love to hear your thought on this. I'm really big on um, sharing with leaders. Your employees are seeking meaning and they're not going to stop until they get it. That's the way of the world right now. Great. So if that, if that meaning is like their nonprofit is part of your business and they see that some of their paycheck is going back to that cause or they are getting the opportunity to influence in the community or whatever. It's, it's the meaning and that is what they're craving and that we have to meet them with that. That is just what, where it is. hundred percent. And, and, you know, you, you say they're craving and, and, and you can actually see it. I mean, we're, we're now sitting from a global perspective. The responses that we have to certain things that are deemed as wrong are far greater than they've been for a very long time, for a very long time. How quickly people are mobilizing. And it's the millennials that are mobilizing, mobilizing far more than I ever would have expected them to. Because I'll be honest, five years ago, I would have told you that my perception was this generation is self-involved and self-serving. But they aren't. They just express it differently. They just use different tools to bring in change. I think one of the most frustrating things for any leader is if you can't find the thing that motivates somebody to be their best for the company, what do you have? What is your relationship with them? It was easier in earlier generations where it was deemed you would get married, you would have X many children, you would drive a certain type of car, and your status was based on all these events occurring, and you would aspire to that. That's how I was raised. Go out there, get an education, get a good job, 
buy a nice house, have some kids, you know, all that good stuff. Millennials have been taught, no, 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 go out there and write a piece of music. Go out there and change the world. Go out there and save the rhinos, whatever it might be. But in that, somewhere along the line, they had they figured out the hard way because we didn't prepare them enough. Well, you have to pay bills um, and you have to uh, eat and you can't live in your parents' basement for the rest of your life. They figured that out. The millennials that are in the workforce that are in a decision-making space have figured that out. What they're tired of is being told, oh, you are that. They've made the mistake. I have many millennials working for me that are absolutely responsible and wanting way more for themselves in addition to changing the world, in addition for doing things responsibly, thinking about their impact on the environment, thinking about their impact to their colleague. And if those things are important, it makes it very hard when you map that to often a decision that a business person makes for profit because bigger workspaces cost more money. Being involved in an environmental uh, project for a company takes time and money. And it's that shift that organizations have to make in order to be successful. It's easy for the big guys. They've got the money to make that shift. For the rest of us, we have to be cognizant to be aware of that. Or what we will do is we will alienate ourselves from my own workforce in the next five to 10 years. And we can't. As you so rightly put it, they're the biggest generation entering the workforce and they will continue to be. The generation behind them, who knows? What will, they, what will be their desires? But I don't get the impression that this generation is stupid enough to not know that being called something different and referring to them as the millennials in reference to everything is not frustrating, is not insulting, is not yes. insulting. So I think we should... I know why we've done it, but I, th I think it's bad that we've 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 broken people up into what our expectations are based on what year they were born. Uh, I don't think it's fair. What I'm thinking, as you and I are just talking right now, the the greatest I guess glimpse of insight is all of these descriptors that we're sharing around millennials and what we've learned. They're all amazing, like working for meaning, saying yes or no to things because it's meaningful, changing the world, um, not stopping until they get what they want. Like those are all amazing things. Like that that's Human awesome. Rock. Go for it. You know, like let's have more of those fundamental, authentic human rights is what they're asking for. It's not. It's not something unfair. Yeah. Well, hey, Jethro, we're almost out of time. So I'm going to end with um, this one question and then we'll challenge our audience on something here together. I know you to know that you're nerdy and know that data is big and you work with a lot of analytical yes. people. So I wonder when it comes to HR, people stuff, culture, how do you keep metrics on that? This show is called Gut Plus Science. So we've talked about a lot of gut stuff because we're talking about our experiences. And I just want to know the science behind culture in your world and how you measure and that adventure. I think gut is important, but you need the science to influence or assist your gut or confirm your gut. I don't think you can do one without the other. And I also think in certain instances, data should be the reason why you make a decision. So employment engagement is essential for us. Uh, and, it, and, and it's essential for many reasons. So the reason why you and I met was you gave me the opportunity for me to independently assess without any influence from me or anybody within my team, where are you? How are you feeling engaged with the organization? And I'm across a number of metrics. Now, people will argue, is that the right metric or the wrong metric? What you're doing is you're arguing semantics. What I mean by that is, in the absence of you measuring something, 
you do not have any data and therefore you haven't measured it. But if you do measure something, there is value that comes out of measuring things because that can give you the opportunity to confirm your gut or confirm your, your beliefs or maybe hopefully show you something that you didn't know that you can respond to. Otherwise, you become a reactive organization to employee problems. And being a reactive organization to employee problems is the person resigns and you don't know why. And one of our biggest concerns have always been is we think it's this, but we don't know it is. Regular repetitive data, data analysis, and ensuring that you're using that data correctly and don't do it once. Employee engagement is a time of year where you are with the organization. So many things influence people's view of the company that they work for. Many times there are things that you're not in control over. The political situation in a country can impact people's morale. That morale then compounded with small things you do as an organization to upset them causes their engagement to be greater than it would have been should there not have been an external influence in the way that it was. So we believe in that regular and repetitive analysis. And we think that you should, I believe that you should use this data uh, in your organization from top to bottom. And everybody needs to participate because it's very surprising to me if your managers or your leaders are disengaged, you probably might not even notice that too. And that's going to have a massive impact into your staff further in your organization. So I, I believe that data needs to confirm your gut. And I think you should take less I think you should listen more to the data and allow your, your gut to give you that final decision. But data is important. Analysis is important. We're in an analytical business. If I look at my balance sheet or my income statement, it's fact. Okay. Why would you be doing any different when it comes to your employee engagement? Absolutely. You know, rewind two years ago, I'm a CEO running a company 10 years in and have never in my life done that. Everything was, you know, people just come talk to me. I mean, I'm a very personable person. They just come chat and we talk and we're good and picnics and drinks and, you know, wow. And you believe that tell you everything. And that's the reality. They don't. You know what the, the actual stat is that you get of the people that come to you, which are about 20 to 30% of your organization or your team to come to you to really truly um, talk uh, through an open door policy, you're getting about 60% of what's really going on. Um, So there's a 40% that they're buffering, you know, they don't want to speak up about or whatever. So you're only getting some of it. And, you know, now I look at like data and it's like so amazing. One of the things that I love so much is if you have data and you have five owners of a company, which is already, that's a tough thing to do. I don't recommend that. You have five owners sitting at a table trying to make decisions. It takes forever. But if you've got data, they, the alignment around that table, it is uncanning how quickly you can speed up that process because you can't argue with it. It's data. And so for years, you know, historically it's been like, oh, we're going to go out and we're going to look at turnover and we're going to do some interviews of people and do some exit interviews and all this. And it's like piecemealing all of these different things together to, you know, to get data that's nine months old, you know, because it's all based on exit interviews and turnover. It's like, I don't know. So it's, it's so interesting to me, you know, when we can get ahead of it and we can, you know, watch these trends. It just tells us so much and it just saves us lots of hours. In our conversations with CEOs and hiring managers, we hear they're frustrated with traditional recruiting. From outrageous fees to focusing on candidates before clients, 
The process was broken and needed to be fixed. Enter Titus Talent. Titus Talent Strategy serves its clients using passionate people, a proven process, and unparalleled performance. Oh, and did we mention they guarantee the performance of their candidates for 12 months? If you want to learn how they're disrupting the recruitment space, head over to TitusTalent.com. That's T-I-T-U-S-T-A-L-E-N-T.com. For those of you listening in, if you want to continue the conversation with Jethro, I encourage you to find him, reach out on LinkedIn, Jethro Lloyd, and you can also hit him up on his website at ilabqa.com. So now let's get to the truth you can act on. Uh, This is my section to really give you the best takeaways for you and your organization or share it with a friend that you know needs it so they can take action and work on moving the needle. So a couple things. One, communication. Focus on humanizing your communication. Don't forget it's not what you say, it's how you say it. It's so much about the how we communicate. And so um, we have to really decipher that in every situation, but I just encourage you to think through how you're communicating as a whole, whether it's general communications or the more touchy subjects that obviously need more intimate communication around them really focusing on how big communication is and how it can impact your organization. Number two, focus on one-to-one interaction. As a leader, I know that as a CEO or president, you can't be everywhere all the time. However, you can encourage your leaders to be more proactive with one-on-one time with the people on their team. And like like I said, you can't be everywhere, but when you're doing a roadshow and you're out on location, yeah, get as much one-on-one interaction as you can as a um, key leader, but empower your managers, your leaders to do the same thing um, so that you can really you know, scale that opportunity and make the impact. And then third, embrace authenticity and give it regularly. You know, especially in the world of millennials and the younger generations, we all, they, they want to know the real you. Who are you? Want to know more about, you know, what you done on the weekend. And uh, a lot of times in a leadership role, we're in this high D realm of getting things done, the bottom line and all of that. And we try very hard to be connected to our people, but we sometimes forget how much of an impact just talking about our weekends or our dog or sharing some kind of uh, just vulnerability from a standpoint of like, things aren't perfect. So just encourage you to do more and more of that. So we'll see you next time on Gut Plus Science. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.